I'm one of those people that in general doesn't think that sweetness and saltiness, bitterness that is, go together well. I know some of you mad people out there think that your sweet treats should be somehow coated in salt so that you can have it all at once, and I think this is uh, unkosher, honestly. I think this is uh, quite unacceptable. Uh, I am not in favor of this. I was eating some ice cream this week. No shockers there. Uh, but I was eating some ice cream this week, and um, the, it wasn't Bluebell, and that was my first mistake. You know, I, I branched out every once in a while. I'm out, and I'm thinking, Meredith, we should get some ice cream. And so we go to an ice cream shop, and it's it's just not Bluebell, and uh, that's, that's the first mistake. It never is. You take a bite, and you think, why is that not Bluebell? Why am I wasting my calories? But there's so much left, I better finish it anyway. And <laughs> this is relatable, I know, to all of you. Well, I was having some ice cream that was, the flavor was, uh, this was a, a ritzy, uh, artisanal ice cream shop. And so the flavor was uh, maple syrup and pancakes. Was anybody, I know, I know. All right, I don't care. Judge me all you want to. But listen, listen. I like maple flavored things. I like maple cookies a lot. You know, I, I, like, I like stuff that is maple flavored. I like maple syrup quite a bit, especially the real stuff. Not Canadian, but one doesn't need to be Canadian in order to appreciate good maple, right? The best of it comes from Vermont anyway. All right. So, uh, what could be better, I was thinking to myself, other than some maple-flavored ice cream with pieces of pancake ripped up, uh, swirled into the ice cream? I thought that could be good. I was in a moment, and I thought this would be a good idea. Why it was that I tasted this ice cream, and it was the saltiest thing I'd ever tasted, I don't know. I don't know at what point in the process, do, do some of you salt your pancakes? I don't know what the place was thinking. It was nonsense. But... To be sure, I, I understand, if you're having like a little dark chocolate, there's like a little, a wee bit of salt to it, maybe it brings out the flavor a little, I, I get it, I'm not mad, but this was just like, I was swelling up from the sodium <laughs> with each bite of ice cream that I was having, it was terrible, it was the worst. Anyway, the moral of the story, yeah, application number one is uh, just stick with Bluebell, y'all, and uh, you'll, you'll know it's good. You ate it all. Uh-huh, yeah, you're darn right I did, that's right, <laughs> I, finished, I finished it. Oftentimes, I don't know that sweetness and bitterness go together. But we are told in Scripture today, as John, who is receiving this revelation, as John, who sees this vision, he gets the word of the Lord, and he is told even before he gets it that it is going to be sweet, but there's also going to be some bitterness to it. And this is the way it is for all of us as we receive the word of the Lord, as we follow the way of the Lord, and as we do the work that God has for us to do. Let's pray and let's read Scripture together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. I thank you that you've spoken to us. And now I pray that you'd give us strength to believe what you've spoken to us and that you would give us the wisdom to know all the joy and blessing, even with a little bitterness and suffering, that there is in following the way of Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 10, verse 1, John is speaking about what he sees. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, 
His face was like the sun, his legs were like pillars of fire. He held a little scroll open in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voice. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. So far, what we have is an interesting and mysterious passage. This angel, angels are mentioned over 60 times in the book of Revelation. They're all over, but only three times there are mighty angels, which seems to indicate their size as well as power. This one large enough to come down out of heaven and set a foot on the land and a foot on the sea, a mighty large angel. Then the imagery about it is is also interesting. Some of these images, this fiery legs and wrapped in a cloud, are used to refer to Christ in chapter 1. But we're not to understand this as Christ. He's never referred to as an angel. And since He has made His appearances clear and always makes His presence known in Revelation, we're just to understand that this is a particularly powerful angel that God is on for a particular purpose. But if you want to look for meaning in some of the symbolism, you might simply look to the Old Testament, because all of the images that John writes down here are from the Old Testament. It's not like him trying to describe an abstract painting where he says, I I don't know, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a rainbow, sort of, a little bit. Rather, the imagery is all things drawn from the Old Testament. So this mighty angel has a rainbow over its head. Well, that's an image you remember from the Old Testament, isn't it? What does it mean? Well, the rainbow uh, that Noah saw was a testimony to God's faithfulness and His covenant-keeping. That was the sign of the promise that God made to Noah. You see, Pillars of fire, the angel's legs. Where do you see pillars of fire in Scripture? Do you see that in the Old Testament? Ah, you do, in fact. They are what lead God's people steadily. And so we have that here in the angel as well. These symbols all come from the Old Testament. But then, as this angel cries out, seven thunders raise their voices, and it gets more mysterious for a moment. John hears a voice from heaven. We are to understand that this is the voice of God saying to him, up, up, up. John starts to write down what he hears. He hears something that is going to happen in this vision that's not for us to know yet. It's mysterious on purpose. God says, don't write that down. Seal that up. That will come later. And this is the way God speaks to us. Uh, God doesn't disclose everything to us all at once. He doesn't need to. He tells us what we need in order to trust Him and believe and obey and follow a good life. The rest will be illuminated at some point, but periodically in Scripture, especially in Daniel and now here in Revelation, we hear that one of the prophets saw something that they were supposed to have seen, but God says, that's not for Israel yet, that's not for the Christians yet, that's not for the church. They don't need to know about this just yet. That time will come. And so, rather, we get what we are supposed to know about, and here it is. Verse 5, the angel that I'd seen standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, what is in it, the earth, and what is in it, and the seas, and what is in it. There will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed. As he announced to his servants, the prophets, the angel says, it's coming now. It is about finally time. You heard throughout Scripture, not yet, not yet. You've heard throughout Scripture, just wait. 
Be patient. God is at work, and He's going to make things happen at just the right time, but it's not the right time yet. So finally, this angel announces, it is time. It's time for the conclusion of all that God is going to do. It's time for there to no longer be mysteries at all. At that point, there will be no mysteries. At that point, there will be judgment and eternal life, just as God has announced all along through all of His servants, the prophets. Verse 8, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, You can use this one if you want to, to make sure they get it. I'll turn this one off. Go here. There we go. Go that. Verse 8, Then the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hands of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take and eat it. It's a little hot, though, the microphone. It's a little, just, just throwing that out. I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy against, again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the text we're going to focus on today. The voice from heaven, God himself, says to John, all right, seal up those things. Those things aren't what I want for people to know right now, but here's what I do want them to know about. Go and take that scroll that is open, the one that's not sealed up. Here's the message that's open. Go take that word of God and the very will of God and you're going to take it and you're going to eat it. And just so you know, the angel tells him, once you eat it, it's going to be very sweet. It's going to be real sweet. But then it's going to turn your stomach sour. It's going to be bitter in your stomach. And finally, what he says is you're going to have to prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. That's what this is. The word of the Lord to the people of the world that God is calling out to them. Take it, consume it, eat it, and then share it with everyone everywhere. The word that John is supposed to receive is both sweet and also bitter at the same time. How can this be? Have you ever heard a sweet word before? Have you ever heard somebody say something that immediately just lit you up and it was beautiful and you were so glad to hear it? Have you ever heard a song for the first time that you thought, this is my new anthem for the year. This is my new song. That happened to me one time in a cold December when I was in high school. And uh, because, of course, you know, every generation thinks their music is better than the generations subsequent. But it's actually true for my generation. Uh, the music of the 90s uh, is actually quantifiably the best. And I'm sitting there in the car, and I'm young, and I'm a teenager, and I'm a little angsty about it and everything. And then I hear the Counting Crows come on and their song, Long December. And I thought, oh. This song totally makes sense to an angsty teenager, and this is the best. And it was, in fact, cold in the car, and it was about a long December. Have you ever heard a song? Your story is going to be better than mine, right? Your, 
I've also heard worship songs that I loved and that I heard and that were delightful for me. Have you ever read a verse in scripture that as soon as you read it, it was so sweet and so powerful to you and it meant everything? Every time I read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it is like that. This verse never loses its sweetness to me. About every funeral that I have the honor of getting to preach, I share this verse. Because I share it knowing that at every funeral there are family members who are not believers and don't know the Lord. And I want to let them know what's going on right now and what God has planned. Because 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says... God is not slow about keeping his promises. Not like some people count slowness. But rather, God is patient towards you, not wanting anyone to be lost. It's so beautiful to me. Some people could say, as Peter says, there are people who he's writing to, and he says to them, listen, there are scoffers out there and people who mock and say, I know y'all Christians are waiting on Jesus to return and set things right, but if he was going to return, surely he would have by now, right? What are all of you doing? He apparently died and rose again some 2,000 years ago now. If he was going to come back, wouldn't he have? And to this, Peter answers, uh, 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 uh. the problem isn't that God is slow, is what Peter says. You're wrong. God's not slow. God is the one who is patient. We think of ourselves being the ones who are patiently waiting on the return of Christ. No, no, no. It is he who is patiently waiting on you to go to him. The days, the hours, the time is a testimony to God's patient love for you, his desire for your salvation as well. All these years, all this time, God has been waiting on you. Because God doesn't want anyone to be lost. His desire is your salvation. This verse, I promise you, has everything. God is not slow. Our God, the one true God, he is patient, which is incredible to discover. How great is it for us that we have a God who is patient? Because we need it. We have a God who is coming again, but in the meantime, his desire is your salvation. You might have this mental image of a God who is angry with you, who you need to kind of hide out from, that you should probably get your ducks in a row before you go and pray to this God, and so you don't go and pray to him as much as you should because you need to change a few things in your life, maybe read scripture a little more, attend church before you can go to him. No, no, no. This God's desire is your salvation, and he's waiting on you to come to him. This verse is always sweet to me. It's, it's so sweet and so beautiful. And this is the way the word of the Lord is. The word of the Lord is always sweet. The word of the Lord is sweet because it's always good for us. But frequently, the word of the Lord can have some bitterness to it because it speaks against us sometimes. It tells us the truth even when we don't want to hear it. The word of the Lord is sweet, but sometimes the word of the Lord cuts into us because that's what we need. And God knows it. It's not because he's mad and angry and likes going, ha ha. It's because we've got the cancer of sin and we need it cut off of us. You'll recall the word of the Lord being particularly bitter to Peter one time when Peter as Jesus is in the garden with Peter and the disciples and he's saying, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be taken. Jesus says to the disciples before 
Uh, they go into the garden. He says, listen, I'm going to be taken, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. And Peter, feeling pretty bold, says, no, we're going to be with you no matter what. I'm here. Peter says, essentially, you know, look at these. I'm ready for the fight. What do you need? Peter's, Peter is, is, is just ready. I'm going to stay with you no matter what. These other guys, they may run. I'm here. Peter's feeling real confident about himself, and he gets a word from the Lord. Jesus, one could understand, puts his hand on Peter's shoulder and says, Peter, even before morning, you are going to pretend you don't know me at least three times. And that's the word of the Lord. Is Peter's got to take a real quick look at himself and what role he is going to play in Christ's kingdom. Because although he is Christ's, Christ wants to see him saved, and that only happens for Peter and for the rest of us by Christ going all alone to the cross, the only one who could and the only one who did to pay for our sins. Peter gets a sweet word from the Lord because it is from the Lord, but there's some sharpness to it, and it hurts him to hear it. The word of the Lord is like this for us sometimes as well. How much more sweet it is for Peter, though, when Christ in his resurrection sits down on the seashore with him and tells him that though he has sinned grievously, he's not kicked out, but rather Christ died for his very sins of denial and that now he is going to go and do the work of the Lord with the rest of his life. How sweet it is to hear. There are passages in scripture like this for us as well that are sweet but also have some bitterness to them, have some difficulty to them to read and to hear. The more you read the 23rd Psalm and never stop reading it, and the more you all have it memorized because we've all read it and we should have it in our hearts and in our minds, the more it is sweet and yet the more it has difficulty and bitterness to it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me by cool waters. The whole passage starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. Everything is going to be fine but by the end of it, we also hear the Lord is my shepherd, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Why do we have to go there? Why is that a part of it? Why is this even involved in the shepherding? And yet it is. Psalm 23 says, the Lord sets a table for me. Not, not a small table. The Lord sets the banquet table for me. The feast is right there for me. But he sets a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. You know, I was recently at a restaurant where the tables were simply too close together, and I saw the table that Meredith and I were going to be sitting at, I mean, like immediately back to back with the people next to us, and I already groaned and didn't want that to happen. And these people weren't enemies, they were just other people. Why, why do you have this table set for us in the presence of anyone? Yet here, he has given us good to eat, has he not? He has led us well in our lives. But he has invited us to the kingdom in the presence of our enemies. It is sweet, but there's still some difficulty involved in it. Perhaps the word of the Lord for you today is like this. What if, what if you are suffering and the word you get from God is, I will be with you every minute? but it's going to get worse. Will that be all right? To receive a word that is sweet, but a word that is difficult? Because that's the word that some of the churches get back in Revelation 2 and 3. 
He says, I know your persecution and I see it and I see that you're enduring it and I'm with you. And the word he gives them is, so go ahead and keep enduring it until death. Perhaps the word for you in your suffering is, I will be with you every step of the way. I will empower you to do the right thing and to act well and to be a good witness. But the difficulties are going to get worse. Not better. Not yet. The word of the Lord for all of us is sweet, but it has its difficulties and its bitterness to this. I tell you, you should still receive the word of the Lord. Because though these sufferings may end in death, that's never the end for us who believe. Death ends in resurrection, and that's the end of the story. There may be more difficulties ahead. There will be more difficulties ahead. But the Lord will never leave you alone. And this is the sweetness of it. He has walked the path before us, And he walks the path with us. This is the will of the Lord. So the word of the Lord is both sweet sweet and bitter. So I would tell you that the way of the Lord is both sweet and bitter. I'd like to simply apply this for you, not just to the receiving of the word of the Lord, but in living the Christian life. Do you know that the Christian life, just like the word of life, is sweet, but there are also difficulties in it? This is especially true for life together in the church because God has called us together. And we don't necessarily get to pick the team that he calls us on to. He calls all kinds of people into his kingdom. He let you in and me. And so he's brought us together so we are together in the spirit. We have a song that we love to sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. I say to you likewise, tis so sweet to live the life of Christ and to follow in the way of Jesus in all things, to have hope. Even when you wake up wrong in the morning to know that everything is going to be, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to follow the way of Jesus. There's also bitterness to it at times. There's suffering and difficulty because of the way of Jesus. You might remember in Mark chapter 10, Mark's disciples, James and John, are going up to ask Jesus for positions of honor. They're asking Jesus, can we sit at your right and left hand? And Jesus says to them, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They're looking for honor and glory, and Jesus is telling them one after another, the next thing that happens is I'm going to go and be crucified. I'm going to be handed over and crucified and die. And they don't quite get this. And they're saying, "Uh, can we sit at your right and left hand in glory? And Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer and die. That is a part of what it means to be the Messiah. The glory, but also the suffering. And so Jesus asked them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And what do the disciples say? They go, yeah, sure. (laughs) They say, sure, why not? They don't know what is coming or quite understand what Jesus is telling them yet. And what's Jesus' response to them? He says to them, yeah, you, you will, in fact, drink the cup that I am going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with. Jesus is saying to them, in effect, that yes, after he dies and rises again, they are going to face similar persecutions because of the will of God. And in fact, they do. There is sweetness and bitterness in the way of Christ. Of James and John, these brothers, what we know 
is that one of them, James, is martyred very early, is one of the first to be killed for his faith. Not the very first, but one of the first to be killed for his faith. And we know of John. He suffers lots of persecution throughout his life and lives to a ripe old age and is sitting on an island where he has been put out there to die of exposure and receives this revelation. One brother quickly to martyrdom, the other brother a long-suffering life obeying Christ. Both brothers, resurrection. The call is different, but the way for both of them, I tell you, is sweet, and yet it is bitterness. Man, if you're going to follow the way of Christ and worship the Lord with this congregation, it's going to be sweet. We have a lot of fun together. We do a lot of fun activities. We get to see some amazing things happen. I was trying to list off this week for myself just all of the neat things that we've gotten to participate in. As we were planning with the staff this past month of what we're going to try and do in 2022, talking about VBS and talking about mission trips and talking about all the things that we're going to get to do, we also got to talk about all that we've already done. And it's so sweet to have gotten to be a part of the things that God has done. Y'all, I was looking back in my Google Photos. You know how uh, your Google Photos app tells you sometimes at the top, hey, here's what happened you know, a year ago, two years ago, six years ago. Uh, it is now. And there's a photo from six years ago, and it was from Operation Christmas Child at this church, uh, where, if you recall, I was like, I was brand new here and fresh-faced. And uh, Operation Christmas Child, we, we had a bunch of the children uh, with wagons coming in to take the Operation Christmas Child boxes that were all stacked up and take them out, and it was real special. And sure enough, the tiny little faces in the wagon was tiny little Garris Chambers and tiny little Caleb Hibbets uh, looking like tiny little baby boys. And it was so sweet to see, but even sweeter is to get to see both of these guys, if you know Garris or if you know Caleb, these guys are men now. And it's been a joy to watch them grow into godly men. And it's been a joy to watch them mature. I tell you, the way of the Lord is sweet because we get to see these kinds of things and rejoice to get to be part of the life of people growing up in the church and growing up in the Lord. It's been a joy to see. But there's also heaviness to it, is there not? None of us are yet done with grieving the loved ones who have passed on from this church in the last few years. I don't want to mention them all specifically because now would not be the time to have to fight uh, tears and breaking down just one for me to share with you. I'm still not really done grieving yet the loss of Jess Moyer, who is a godly man who is kind and gracious to me continuously, always had the best wisdom whenever I asked him, but always had the patience of God and the gentleness and love of the Lord to me, and died tragically from COVID suddenly and quickly, and it hurts. The way is sweet, but the way has suffering and bitterness involved in it. Yet, you and I, we walk with confidence knowing that God is in control. And that shepherd who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death is the same one who is leading us to green pastures. And who has us in the green pastures even while we walk through the barren places. The word of the Lord is sweet, but can be bitter to us. And the way of following Christ is sweet but has its bitternesses. Finally, the work. 
very much specifically what John has here, the work of serving the Lord is sweet and is bitter. And this is most directly what our passage is talking about today. John is given a task in the work. I mean, up until here, he's been seeing things and recording them. That's his job, is he's received this revelation, this vision, and he's writing down what all of it says, and he's sending it off to the churches, and he's sending all this away from his island. He's writing all these things down, but now he's brought into the story. A voice from heaven calls him and says, Now you, come into the narrative. Take the scroll out of that mighty angel's hands and eat it. By the way, this eating it is the exact perfect explanation for us, metaphor for us of how we're to treat scripture. What should we be doing with the scripture in front of us? Eat it. <laughs> Consume it. Know it completely and wholly. John's supposed to eat it. He's supposed to take the word of the Lord in and internalize it and make it his. And then it's going to be bitter for him. It's sweet because it's the word of God. And after all, the word of God is that God's not slow about keeping his promises. He's patient and he wants everyone to be saved. So why is it bitter? Because John's going to go deliver this message to a bunch of nations and tribes and languages and people. And they're not going to listen. It's the bitterness that God himself has. The sadness over his desire to see people saved and their continual rejection of his salvation attempts at their lives. To do the work of Christ is to experience this same sweetness and this same bitterness. If you engage in the work of Christ, that is telling other people uh, the word of God, if you consume, if you eat this word and then go and open your mouth to tell somebody else here is what God wants from you. Here is the goodness of God. Here is what the good life looks like, obeying Christ. It will be sweet for you, but there will be the bitterness, the bitterness of rejection. Nobody likes being rejected, and some people simply will not want to hear it from you. All the more bitter is that rejection if they're people you care about and love. You recall from John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, when Christian, the main character, begins to read scripture and know that he has to leave and go and get rid of the burden of sin that is on his back and go after the kingdom of God, the people who mock him the most are his own family. There's the bitterness of rejection. If you try to go tell other people about Christ, there's the bitterness of alienation. There will be old friends who simply answer the phone less and don't want to continue to be friends. Because for them, you are now the word of the Lord that they don't want to hear. You know, Paul talks about this in his letters to the Corinthians. He says, we are an aroma to the world, is what he says. To those who are not going to hear it, we are the aroma of death, is what he says. But to those who are going to hear it and rejoice, we are the aroma of life, the sweet aroma there's a bitterness for us, a bitterness of rejection, bitterness of alienation, the bitterness of feeling foolish. You might remember how Moses takes a word to Pharaoh and feels foolish the whole time and doesn't quite do it right and botches it a little bit and God gives him a second chance, but this is a part of the work. You might recall how John, by the end of this book, as we talked about last Sunday, doesn't really know what he's doing. He's falling down before the angels to worship. And the angel has to say, no, 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 get up on your feet. Worship God alone. There's all kinds of difficulties, but 
tis so sweet to get to be the bearer of good news for people and to get to be the bearer of the word of God for them. It's so sweet because I've gotten to see certain people trust Christ who I never thought would. If you're sharing the gospel with people regularly, uh, you start to give, give people odds, perhaps. You start to think, that person, I feel certain, is going to trust the Lord. And you might want to sit with somebody else and know that God wants you to share the gospel with, let's say, like a brother, a friend, some teen, a child somewhere, and you go, I just don't, I don't think they're going to hear this. Hey, listen, I need to share this word from the Lord with you, that God loves you and has good plan for you, and you just need to come to him. But you know what? Sometimes the ones who you don't think are going to listen do, and there's nothing sweeter than that. I mean, there's nothing sweeter than that. It's always bitter. It hurts to have shared the gospel with somebody and led them to Christ and continue to be sharing scripture with them and doing discipleship and then watch something come up in their life where they just choose to go a different direction. It hurts. And if you're going to do the work of the Lord, there will be bitterness in it. It will turn your stomach sometimes, but there is sweetness in it. I got a Facebook message a few weeks ago. Let me think about it to describe this relationship. Back when I was a youth pastor, now years ago, let's call it 12 years ago, there was a teenager who had to live with his aunt and uncle. They were Christians who attended the church. His family, his dad was uh, vigorously atheistic and said, you know, don't believe any of this, don't do this. But also the family was a mess and couldn't take care of him. So he went to live with the Christian aunt and uncle and a kind kid and a good kid and was polite and easy enough to get along with and would come to church, but would come to church and we had a good friendship. We got along, we kind of hit it off just personality wise. But he would just say, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested. No, I don't believe any of that. None of that's true. Uh, there's no spirits. There's no, there's no soul. There's just you die and you're done, and that's the end of it. And that's what this young sophomore kept saying to me. And then he, came to his, he went into his junior year, and I shared the gospel with him regularly and took him on trips and camps. And, and then he ended up moving back in with his dad and went back to that family, and I hadn't seen him or heard from him in like a decade well, his aunt, the Christian, just sent me a Facebook message a few weeks ago and said, hey, we saw Ethan for the first time in seven or eight years the other day. We sat down for a meal, and he said that he would become a Christian and that it was largely because of what you kept telling him about Christ. And there's nothing been sweeter in my life than that. And I've had a lot of bluebell, but there's nothing <laughs> been sweeter in my life besides that. I tell you, if you are willing to engage in the work of the Lord if you are going to eat this, devote yourself to knowing scripture and internalizing it, it will force itself out of you, that you must share it with other people. And when you do, just know beforehand, there will be bitternesses to it. There will be difficulties. John, it's promised for him, and it will be promised for you as well. But let me tell you about the sweetnesses. So I feel like a person today who has laid before you the truth, the good and the bad, or the sweet and the bitter, as the case is. And the final thing that I would like to call you to do is let nothing stop you from coming to the word of the Lord today and believing it, and let nothing stop you today from coming to the way of Christ and devoting your life to following him, and let nothing stop you today from the work of the Lord, proclaiming his word to the nations. In this life, you will have sufferings, but don't be afraid, Jesus says. He's overcome the world. 
This world, you'll have suffering, but don't be afraid. Rather, perhaps as a closing illustration, simply think of labor pains. This is an image Scripture uses regularly. Nobody's just looking for in life to have some labor pains. And nobody's just thinking, you know what I could go for today? Some labor pains. <laughs> Nobody me in the midst of labor pains is thinking, this is great. But is it not sweet to hold a child? We need the word of the Lord. It will be bitter at points, but oh, will it be sweet. There is only one way for you in life. There's only one version of the good life, and it is following the way of Christ. There will be difficulties. It will be hard. But oh, will it be sweet. And let us not shy away from the work of God proclaiming the gospel, which will have its bitternesses. But oh, friends, will it be sweet. Amen. Father God, I thank you that you are so gracious to us. I thank you that you are patient, as your word says. I thank you that you are full of loving kindness. I thank you that your desire is for us to come to you today. Forgive us that we have foolishly not always come to you every day. I thank you that just like John, you have called us into the story and into your work. Now I pray that you give us the strength to endure the bitterness for the joy set before us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.